Well, good evening. Uh, some of you are saying, what in the world? We thought it was soaking. So uh, tonight is, uh, it's not All Souls. All Souls is actually uh, November 2nd. I told Dee Dee to give us the scriptures and the colic for All Souls. Uh, it's actually, of course, Halloween is, of course, holy. Uh, and as the eve, which would be the eve of All Saints Day. And so that's the evening. So this is often the day which is commemorated uh, All Saints uh, on this evening. Uh, so tonight we're having a communion service and we're remembering uh, those who are faithful who died in Christ. So let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, of course, there's All Saints and All Souls Days. Historically, uh, evangelicals and uh, Protestants have celebrated All Saints uh, because there is the belief in the fact that we have the church militant on earth and triumphant in heaven. Uh, and so the idea is, of course, that the church, we hear in Revelations, uh, in chapters 4 and 5, that the church is under the altar. Those who died in Christ, they're worshiping. Uh, the, the Lion of Judah is, is revealed, and he is the Lamb that was slain. And you have all the saints and all those there singing and worshiping under the altar, waiting for that day. Also, of course, Hebrews 12 uh, that says we have this great cloud of witnesses, and the, the Greek gives you this imagery of a coliseum, almost like the swamp or something. I hate to use the word swamp in the idea of heaven, but nonetheless, for those Gator fans, they'll appreciate uh, the idea. But um, So you get this picture of Hebrews 11 with all the faith chapter of all those that died in Christ, uh, even before Christ, that died in faith that the Messiah would come, and, and then all those who've died in Christ as martyrs and, and have just lived uh, in the righteousness of Jesus as born-again people. Uh, so you have this All Saints. Now, All Souls Day comes out of a little bit, it was got some momentum uh, under St. Augustine, partly because his mother said, don't have a big funeral for me, just remember me. Monica, his mother, if you remember, she prayed like 30 years for his salvation. Uh, and, uh, and he was a real proliferate womanizer, you know, terrible drunk and all these different things. A brilliant guy, but he was a very evil man. Some of you know the confessions are familiar with his story. Well, Monica prayed, and, and when she died, uh, she said, don't have a big funeral, but remember me at the altar. And that began uh, a sort of a beginning of, re he prayed for Monica, and then people followed his example of praying for those faithful. Now, they weren't praying out, someone out of purgatory. They weren't praying uh, people from hell to heaven or something. But by the medieval period, there were lots of people with the doctrine of purgatory who did, would have celebrated all souls as an opportunity to remember the dead. Uh, and the idea was we needed to pray for them. Uh, I say we, uh, I was raised Baptist, but, but we, uh, the, the, in that time, in the corruption of the church, there was this idea of the purgatory that, that you had the church militant on earth, triumphant, but in the middle time, for those until Christ's return, they believe in the church expectant. And so they believed that there were people who, uh, you know, they were going to go to heaven, but they needed our prayers because they didn't live good enough and faithful enough. And, and surely there's a lot of people we can understand who, uh, you know, they seem, they, you know, they may have been baptized and made a profession of faith, and yet they clearly didn't live a life uh, that was seriously committed to Jesus. And in that period, and with the doctrine of purgatory, the idea is those people will be purified over time. Uh, that is a, uh, certainly an assault on the cross, and it's not what we believe or what Anglicans believe. We don't believe, uh, however you understand the expectancy of the church between the, uh, now and the second coming, we do not believe that you can change anyone's position, uh, that you can give anyone progress or move them to the front of the line by praying or giving money or, or these sorts of things. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Old Catholic Church, the 
Anglican Church has uh, rejected that teaching, and yet it's been held in, uh, in, it's not a requirement to believe, but it is a doctrine within the uh, broad confines of the central part of the Catholic Church or the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so there's been a, there was a great argument. So at the Reformation, All Souls Day kind of disappeared, and it's not in our Anglican prayer book. Uh, but in the lesser feasts and fasts, there is the time of All Souls. And, and for the, what happened is by World War I and World War II, there was a growing sense among born-again evangelical Christians that there was a need to remember those who had died in Christ. And All Saints Day, people often focus especially on those people who were phenomenal Christians, meaning uh, you know, every, the word saints in Greek, is our saint is hagios, it's a breath mark, I can't pronounce it great, but uh, I did get my A's in Greek and all that sort of thing, so the idea is, I mean that's a simple word, but it's just hagios or holy ones, and of course all those who are holy are holy in the blood of Jesus, and his righteousness is not our own. Uh, at the same time, there are people that clearly live more faithfully and knew Jesus better, and so there are, is the tradition in the church that there are people who are examples for us. I mean, I think of George Mueller. That would be one of the people. Uh, I like uh, Andrew Murray, and, and I, I read them, and I, I learn their insights and the way they walk with Jesus uh, faithfully. And, and uh, So there's a way in which we can learn from someone's example, like Paul said, uh, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and uh, uh, so there, it, that's kind of what the church has focused on on all saints is the exemplary ones. Uh, in truth, everyone that knows the Lord is in heaven with, the Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body at home with the Lord. All right? And so we believe that all those who died in Christ, uh, that know him as Lord and Savior, are immediately welcomed home by the Lord Jesus Christ. But they are waiting until your, the soul is reunited with the body, and the dead bodies will be raised up, rejoined to our souls, when, Jesus, when the trumpet shouts and Jesus returns. All right? So there is... A type of expectancy, even though uh, we wouldn't agree uh, in this church with the Roman Catholics in terms of the purgatory or that kind of progress. But we do believe it's, uh, they have not got the fullness. I mean, the fullness will come when Jesus returns, and then the sheep and the goats. And I mean, there's, there is some, uh, some uh, even fuller and greater realities. And then, of course, we believe that for all eternity, we will worship and learn and know more about God, and there will be a type of progress. Not, again, a purification from sins or any kind of, but, but a growth in grace. And so uh, many of us learned to sing with the Gaithers and others in the 70s, uh, you know, 10,000 years will just be started, 10,000 years will just begun. That is a theologically accurate uh, expression and uh, now a quite old praise chorus or, or song, uh, but it reflects uh, a proper understanding of the, I mean, you think about all eternity will be growing uh, I mean, it's an amazing thing to think about how big and glorious God is. Uh, so, all souls correctly, in the, after World War I and World War II, uh, it became the custom of many people who did not believe in purgatory, who felt that there was a need to remember, particularly all those Christians who had died in World War I and World War II, uh, that had died and had sort of died tragically and untimely uh, in war. And so they felt the need to pray for them. Again, not to move them or purgatory or not to get them from hell to heaven, but simply to remember them and to pray. Uh, you know, when we say the Lord's Prayer, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We, we pray that not because it's in doubt that God's kingdom will come, but we pray God's thoughts after him. And so there are many things in the Bible that we pray. And in fact, the most powerful prayers are when we pray what God has declared in his word and we agree with it with our lips and in our prayers. 
Uh, and so some people call that prophetic declaration, or there's all kinds of vocabulary. But at the end of the day, uh, we pray these things not because we think they're in doubt, uh, but it's our opportunity on earth to align our hearts and our minds with God and agree with Him in His Word uh, and to be part of that. We, we change. God isn't changing, uh, uh, but, but we get more aligned as we pray with God uh, according to His kingdom and His purposes. Now, does that give you a little bit of a... I mean, I'm talking fast, but uh, unfortunately, I went to Starbucks today about two, and I had some kind of nitro drink. What is that? Nit- Have you heard of this thing? I felt like someone gave me cocaine. Uh, not that I know what cocaine is like. I should be careful to say that. But I mean, so anyway, that, but that gives you a little bit of background. All souls, all saints. All right, now, I, I want to talk just for a moment of this powerful passage you've been handed to, and it's up here in Luke chapter 20. Um, and, and I want to, uh, to speak for a moment about this. Now, some of you remember that the Sadducees uh, did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. In fact, they didn't believe uh, that there were any kind of angelic ministry. Uh, they did not believe that uh, anything but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They believed that only those books were, in fact, legit. All the other books they thought were fake and shouldn't have been in the Old Testament. And they did not believe that the Old Testament really had much to do with anything but a natural kingdom rather than any supernatural principles. Uh, and so uh, they're coming to trip Jesus up in this passage. And then Jesus ends with this incredible statement. But let's just peek at the passage. Uh, should have a handout maybe. And if not, you can read up above Luke chapter 20, verse 27. Now, some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, meaning they're coming to ask them a question about something they don't believe in. Have you ever gotten into arguments with people who are not sincere? I mean, there's people who are sincere that there's no sense arguing with them. I'm one of those people at times. My wife says at least I can be like that. But imagine if a person weren't even sincere. So here they're asking a question about the resurrection, but they don't believe it. Now, part of what they're doing, though, is they're trying to suggest by asking this question, this crazy situation that has reference with the inheritance laws uh, connected with Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 and following, uh, there was the law of inheritance, which meant... Uh, that it was not right for a woman not to be able to inherit, and she could only inherit through a child. So if her husband died, the brothers would have to, one of the brothers would have to sleep with her to give her a son so that she could inherit, because she could be cheated out of her inheritance without a male child. All right, and so in Deuteronomy chapter 25, there is these laws about inheritance. All right, and so what the Sadducees are trying to suggest insincerely is to prove that the Old Testament and the resurrection is ridiculous because you get into all these situations which the Sadducees are suggesting couldn't really happen. And to put it, they're trying to put Jesus in this impossible case to sort of demonstrate that the Old Testament is not reliable uh, with supernatural things in the resurrection, but only is helpful on earth. And that's the motivation between what they're doing. So some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher or rabbi, they said, uh, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, again, that's Deuteronomy 25, 5 and following, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Why? So that the woman isn't impoverished. Right? God cared about the widow, and he knew that the families were not going to give land and money, etc., uh, to that woman who was married into the family and now was no longer connected with her family, because if she went back, what would they have to do? They'd have to return the dowry. And typically that wasn't possible because they had used that to 
to buy more oxen or land or whatever. So this woman would be in this really terrible situation. So in the laws of inheritance, she was required to allow to be get a son from one of the brothers. All right. So if a man's brother dies and leaves a, a, a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up the offspring for his brother. 29. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died childless. The second and then the third married in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since seven were married to her? And uh, so the idea is they're sort of imagining in heaven, not unlike the uh, Muslims talking about the paradise with the 70 virgins, they're imagining you know, who will have conjugal rights to her, who will she be, uh, will have the rights to her uh, in marriage uh, in eternity, in heaven. And they're making fun of Deuteronomy 25 and its concern for inheritance, and they're also sort of making fun of the idea of the resurrection. But Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Okay, so, and they can no longer die for they're like the angels. We're not gonna, there won't be another death after this one. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. Now, then Jesus says this powerful thing. Remember, the Sadducees only believe in the first five books. So Daniel 12 and other Old Testament passages speak explicitly about the resurrection of the dead. But Jesus knows if he quotes from Daniel 12, they're going to discount it. So they're only going to listen to something that's from an example from the Pentateuch or the Torah properly speak. The Torah could be used as an expression of the whole Old Testament, but the Pentateuch, the first five books, that would be the Torah explicitly. So he quotes from Deuteronomy, knowing that's something of which they consider authoritative. So, now he quotes and he says, but in the account uh, of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, to, be, to say that someone is the God of, it is to mean that he is their protector. And it's in present tense and it's in the active uh, present imperative. So the idea here is that God is saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meaning they're not dead. They're still alive. Uh, in the way, in the tense of the Hebrew, it's, it's very clear that God is the present protector of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, at Moses' time, they had been dead for hundreds of years. So they would have immediately, the Sadducees would have immediately understood the implications of that. But Jesus goes on. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all are alive. I mean, can you imagine the implications? I mean, we know that. We know uh, that the people that we know, my grandparents, I think of uh, frequently, I had a, a really close relationship uh, of affection with my grandfather and my grandmother and my other grandmother. And uh, I didn't know my mother's father, but I, I knew my uh, mother's mother and my father's parents, uh, and they were very dear to me. And I think frequently, particularly of my grandfather, who had a, a real a stamp on my life in many ways. He was a man of prayer, and he was a man that when he prayed, things changed. And I remember when I really gave myself to the Lord in college, uh, really telling the Lord, I, I want to follow Jesus, but, but I want to be like that. I want to be the kind of man like my grandfather, that when he prayed, things happened. He had, I knew, I didn't, you know, I wasn't spirit-filled. I didn't understand today what I would understand, what I was yearning for. Uh, but I was looking for what he had, which was a vibrant relationship with the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just didn't have the vocabulary for that. 
But I knew that there was types of Christianity that, I didn't, that didn't interest me, but that wasn't really what I was looking for. I wanted something serious and significant and something that would be life-changing um, and, and that would be interactive with God. Um, so how amazing to think that all these people uh, that have gone on before us are in heaven, and he is the God of the living. Uh, everyone is alive to God. And, and so at funerals, you know, since we heard Russ Parker teach this uh, a couple years ago, I've thought about this, and I talk about this almost every funeral, because I think of so many of us have so much unfinished business. And there are so many people, whether it be aborted children or others who have died untimely uh, death, who have not been remembered, uh, and that there's a lot of stuff uh, that's still blocking us in our generations. Uh, there's various open doors, and we, we haven't, uh, you know, these people are, are, uh, have finished the race, uh, but our generational lines are still experiencing uh, the effects and power of sin uh, through our own sin and through the sins of our families. We, we see it. We see the patterns. I mean, it's amazing in my family how you can see uh, we all sort of stamped in the same way for better or worse. And a lot of people might think it's worse. But however, that, however you understand that, you can see these things. It's, it's, it's certainly genetics, but it's more than genetics. Uh, weaknesses as well as strengths. Sensitivity to the Spirit in certain parts of our family and, and, uh, and lots of other things that are not so great uh, in other parts. Uh, and, and so at All Saints and All Souls Day, we're supposed to remember both those who died who were exemplary. And also, All Souls, in essence, the, the way in which the church re-kind of brought all souls back uh, without any idea of purgatory. Simply, there is a need to remember those who've died in Christ before us. Faith of our fathers, holy faith. I mean, it sounds a lot better with the a uh, couple hundred people choir or something. Maybe we were at First Baptist in Jacksonville. They probably could knock that thing out. We're, we're maybe not the biggest voice tonight to sing it, but, but what a powerful thing. And, and the words that are expressed, it's important to remember uh, the good ones and also the ones uh, who have died in the faith who, who weren't uh, St. Francis or, or weren't uh, Billy Graham or something. At the same time, they did die in the Lord and they served him and they fought the fight in this life. There are also then also tragedies and things which are untimely. This year, you know, they had a uh, celebration in Belgium. I was going to go, but I was sick. Uh, and I had uh, a great uncle who died in World War II. He was shot down. They saw him on the ground. He waved. Uh, and then he was killed by the Germans. And uh, they had a commemoration. His particular fighter plane uh, went into a, a river down by Lyon, France. And for whatever reason, they got it out about 10 or so years ago. And it was the most intact fighter pilot uh, fighter plane of World War II. And so it's in a museum up in Belgium now. Uh, and they had this big uh, commemoration and they honored my great uncle because it was his plane. Uh, you know, there was a lot of people, of course, to be honored. but, but they, and, and he died an untimely death. Um, and what an amazing thing to remember it to the Lord uh, and to set some peace. I know that my uh, father's cousin, this guy's son, he had never met his father, uh, that there's a lot of unresolved things to grow up without a father, uh, to grow up without a mother or grandparents. These are, these are big things, and, and there are horrible tragedies. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, who have lost parents uh, to cancer and different things as children. I mean, it's amazing, uh, let alone divorces, all kind of, but, but there's ones who have died, and there's this unfinished business, and it seems that there's no hope. Part of the grief that people get stuck in, and chronic grief, is they're unable to ever, at the death of a parent, uh, they know there's no way this is ever going to get resolved, except for the fact that everyone is alive to Jesus. And, it, you know, it's witchcraft if I try to contact my 
dead family, uh, you know, for me and them. But there is a way to pray in Jesus' name and say, Lord, would you heal this stuff? Uh, Lord, we remember the godly who've died in you. We remember the ones who loved you that weren't uh, uh, maybe exemplary, but they were certainly faithful Christians. Uh, and, and, and Lord, in the damage that was done in our families and the problems and, and the patterns, Lord, would you come by your spirit and would you manifest uh, your righteousness and your merits and would you heal even as remember those who've died in Christ? Uh, would you bring healing into the present because they're all alive to you? Would you allow us the chance? I mean, there's a lot of people that never got a chance to say goodbye, never got a chance to say, I'm sorry, uh, never got to hear, I'm sorry, uh, from people. I, I've heard people say, even this last week, uh, I don't advise it, but said, you know, I'm never going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to tell them I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, don't say that, but I'm not there. I wasn't their pastor. I just had to sort of, uh, no, this is not going to go well when people have that kind of attitude. It, it, it messes us up. Uh, and we live, we need to remember that there is all those who've gone before in Christ are alive and well. They're, they're, they're dead, but they're not dead. Uh, everyone is alive to God. Uh, and because of Jesus and because of who he is uh, and because he lives in our heart by faith, that we have a type of access. Do you realize that, you know, a requiem mass, the, you know, I grew up requiem, requiem mass. It sounds Catholic, and of course I was raised Catholic would be terrible, but but a requiem mass is simply the recognition that those who have died in Christ are in heaven with Christ in person. Their communion is by his presence. It's not by bread and wine, but it's by his very presence. And, that, and the one place on earth that they're most intimately connected with all those who have gone on before us is in communion. Because the Bible says in Revelation that what are they doing up there? They're in a communion service with Christ's presence, worshiping him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so when we take communion on earth, we're able in a certain beautiful way by the body and blood of Jesus that we receive by faith. We're able to connect from this world to that world in the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus lives in our heart by faith. Uh, what an amazing thing. And tonight, uh, originally, they celebrate all souls and all saints in the spring, at the end of, the, uh, the end of winter. Uh, there was a, a Celtic... Uh, witchcraft uh, in the early church and the Celts were really powerful between maybe 200 and 600. Uh, when the pagan Celts, they worshiped the dead on this particular night, as we know that uh, also even to this day, uh, those who are into the occult and stuff would worship. This would be a high holy day. The church moved all saints and all souls days to this time uh, to provide an opportunity to remember properly uh, by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit to remember the dead who are alive in Christ. And, and that's what we're here to do tonight. And I, I just want to take a moment. I, I don't know uh, who might need to be remembered. Uh, but I wonder if you take a moment and, and you remember. I mean, I, 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 for me, it's family. I think of uh, uh, family uh, that uh, I've known uh, who loved the Lord. I, I, you know, grandmothers who sat me on their knee and read the Bible to me. Uh, it's, it's a powerful thing to remember uh, and, and be thankful for the good examples and even that we can be set free from the bad examples uh, by the blood of Jesus. So, Lord, would you come, and, and, and I pray, Lord, uh, we know we can't move anybody. The only things that we move, we move by the blood of Jesus, and, and only to those who know you and knew you by faith. But, but, Lord, there's a whole lot of people. And, Lord, we try to remember as best we can as you uh, bring it up, even throughout the year, those who have died and, and were not remembered. Uh, 
Lord, still birthed children and, and the miscarried and aborted. Uh, but Lord, also people who've died in untimely fashion, tragedy, car wrecks, cancers. Uh, Lord, that were just heartbreak and have caused incredible wounding in families and family life. And, and Lord, we're so grateful that everyone's alive to you. We pray, would you set right? Would you come and by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you cleanse us? Would you cleanse all generational lines? Uh, would you bring the healing? Uh, knowing that everyone's alive to you, Lord, would you bring, put things right, we ask, according to what you promise. Lord, we know there's a day when everything will be put right. But we pray in faith and in Jesus' name, Lord, that you'd begin even in a more powerful way in our lives, even here and even now. Uh, we thank you for all those uh, who followed you and for your grace that you revealed yourself uh, to people in my family who weren't looking for you, uh, and yet you found them anyway. Uh, Lord, we're so grateful for you, for your great love, for rescuing us uh, in our hard-heartedness and our, our family lines. Uh, we bless you. We praise you, Lord, and, and we pray that you would manifest your glory in us, that uh, in the knowledge and the remembrance of all those who've gone on before and your faithfulness to them, we would be encouraged and motivated to be more faithful in our lives, in the part of our lives that we have left. It could be a long time, and maybe it won't be, but in either case, we depend and we rest in you and your great salvation. So Lord, as we move into communion, would you pour out your spirit? Lord, we just ask that you pour out your spirit in the same way you do in prophecy, in the same way you do in tongues, and, and healing, and deliverance. And Lord, would you pour out your spirit that as we partake, uh, of uh, wine and, and of bread, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would spiritually feed us and nourish us with Jesus himself. We ask for it, Lord. And with great expectations, we come. Bless us, equip us, uh, release us. And we ask it in the most wonderful and precious name, the name of Jesus, and in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.